Last week, Pastor Brian Woodard uh, brought to us the idea of what generosity looks like from a biblical perspective. And he and I knew that we were going to tag team this subject matter a bit, too. And I loved how he focused um, and used the scripture and the passage to help us see we don't have the signage up anymore. But he brought out two signs here, one that said earth and one that said heaven. And where our investments are being made, are they being made on this side of heaven, investments in such a way that they will reap the benefits up in heaven? Or will they just simply be temporal? And so there's encouragement from the word of God and encouragement from Pastor Brian Woodard to really be aware of what it is that we're investing in and what, uh, what that can mean for us for eternity. How, what does it mean to use our own resources to benefit eternity? Helps us to think higher, doesn't it? Constantly hear that message, just getting higher, thinking higher. Well, in my inquiry of the Lord, I said to him, about this. I said, Lord, I, you know, I think you must probably should be a really generous person in order to speak on generosity. And, and so I was expecting him to turn me into a generous person overnight so that I could authentically stand in front of you (laughs) and be a worthy speaker. And of course the last two weeks have been terrible. Why does it work out that way? Oh, I've been so generous in some areas, so effortlessly generous in some areas. But then with some of my own people who live in my house, I have withheld, and I meant to. That's what makes it worse. It's so much better if you just do it out of pure ignorance. It's a whole nother thing when you meant to. You know, when you have to pull your kid out of school at the end of the day and say, I'd like to apologize to you for not being generous with my words. I think one of the fastest litmus tests for a spirit of generosity is that with our things. I think it's one of the fastest litmus tests is with our money. With our things. Because let's be honest, it's not just about being generous, it's also about rejecting comfort or rejecting selfishness or rejecting a plan that I already had that I'd like to keep. So it's a fast litmus test, it's not the only litmus test. And that other part is really what I'd like to spend a little time this morning talking about. Uh, Does anybody ever read the Passion Translation? Any hands in here? Joanne, I know she does. She introduced it to me. I love it. If you don't know this translation, I encourage you to get it. Um, They haven't put it all in a bounded book yet. It's in individual books or letters of the Bible. And you can get it online. It's also not quite ready yet for electronic... um, to be able to put like up on a screen to pull it from like Bible Gateway or something of that nature. And so, uh, but it's so, it's so uh, understandable. 
It's really understandable. The language is so intentional. I love in Luke, in the Passion Translation, it refers to Jesus. It gives him a title, and it refers to him as the living expression. I don't know what that's done to me. It seemed to be a little domino effect. It's created this little domino effect for me because it keeps ringing in my ears that he's the living expression. So anyway, I started reading in Acts. And Acts picks up with Jesus giving instructions to his disciples. Now, at this point, he's died on the cross. He's gone into the grave. He's been resurrected from the grave. He's spent 40 days. We're now on day 40 where he's been with his followers, his disciples. He only appeared to those who had seen him prior to his death. He's eaten with them. He's talked with them. He's walked with them. And now here we are, Mount of Olives, disciples all around, followers that are there that have gathered. And this is the moment that Jesus is about to ascend up into heaven. And he gives these instructions to them. He says to them, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to stay there because the gift of the Father will be released to you, the Holy Spirit. He reminds them again, John came and baptized in water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So go and wait. Of course, there's a little bit of dialogue back and forth. He goes on to give them further instruction of saying, you're going to be my messengers, not only here in Jerusalem, but in Judea and the other provinces extended and even to the remotest part of the earth, you are going to be my messenger of the gospel. And at that point, the wildest thing happened. He begins to lift off the ground. He begins to ascend up into heaven. And I can only imagine, I mean, this is definitely one of those DVDs I want to watch when we get to heaven. I can just imagine, like, the more he went, like, the mouth, you know. I love this next part. There's two angels. So you can just imagine 120 people plus whatever, you know, just. And then there are these two angels that have flanked either side where Jesus was. And they say, Galileans, what are you doing? He's risen. And he will come back in the same way that he left. But he gone. You know, it's that kind of. I do hope that some angels are sarcastic. That would be really great. Anyway. But he's, he's gone. And so there's this implication of, so go. Do what he told you, told you to do. Go. And the Bible is awesome. If you don't read it, you're missing out. It is so good because there are, there are details in here that just, boom, they just like cut you like a knife. And you're thinking, that should not cut me like a knife. The one that cut me in a good way was, and they walked back one mile to Jerusalem. This isn't the message, but here's a little point. Your massive encounter with Jesus, that I could never get over that encounter with him, is that close to your assignment. That close. Sometimes when we're in those encounters, we're just like, and you want me to go do what? I mean, how can I do this? It's meant to go with you right back to where your post is. 
Those people went and they sat up in the upper room. We know it was 120. We know that it was men and women. It doesn't say that any children were there. It doesn't say that they weren't there. We know that it's 120 people. We know that they stayed in Jerusalem and that the only instruction they had was to stay here until the gift has been given to you. And you'll know when the gift comes. It'll be undeniable. So they stay there in Jerusalem. I'm very, very thankful they didn't give up on day seven. Jesus said a few days. That's a little, you know, subjective. He didn't say day 10. Nobody there is going, hey, listen, I wonder if this gift is coming on the day of Pentecost when everybody's coming into Jerusalem. Wouldn't that be cool? They weren't thinking that, you know? So here's another little quick tidbit from the word. Like, stay with it. When he's told you to do something, stay with it. This has nothing to do with the message, but it is a good point. Stay with it. Because the gift is coming. The realization of what's been promised to you is coming. Stay with it. Don't give up. Just do what he tells you to do. And if he says stay, then just stay until it comes. Praise God they did. Because on that day, when the Holy Spirit came, another DVD moment. When the Holy Spirit came, everybody in town heard about it in Jerusalem. Why? Because it was already a calendared event for all the Jews. There were thousands and thousands and thousands that came from all over. Most everybody didn't speak the same language. In fact, there were multiple languages that were represented in Jerusalem on that day because it was a festival day. Fifty days after Jesus resurrects, the Holy Spirit would come and and be given as a gift to the church. So we know the day of Pentecost to be when the Holy Spirit came. And the church was born. But they didn't know. So then they begin to utter these tongues. And I love this part of the Bible because it said a pillar of fire came over them and then divided over them. Do you remember the pillar of fire that led the people of Israel? One pillar one body. But now we've got one pillar that has decided in his generosity, praise God, to become individual over every single one. Now this is an individual gift, not just a corporate one. Again, not the teaching, but that's amazing, isn't it? And so this gift now is producing in them an ability to speak language and in dialects in such a way that When they come out, people are like, what in the world? What is this phenomenon? We're hearing these simple Galileans talk in ways that are our language that should be impossible. They've never learned these languages. And as a result, uh, they get the opportunity, Peter does, to speak and explain what's going on. And that's where we actually pick this up. So let's go to Acts 2. I believe it's verse 37. Yes, and, we're, and I'm going to read kind of quickly because we've got about 10 verses here. When the people heard this, they were, oh, oh, let me tell you. Okay, let me back up. Let me back up. This is important. So Peter basically explains Jesus. He's basically explaining Jesus and he's going, hey, those of you who are Jews and converts to Judaism, you know, the rabbi that you really had disdain for and you said needed to die. Well, boom, that's what's going on here. This is what you're seeing. This is who he is. He's the Savior and Messiah. You have put him on the cross, but he has risen and he's offering you the gift of salvation. He's offering you life. 
And instead of them going, well, let's think about this. This is what happened. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles who were standing there, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Far off also means Gentiles. That's in other translations. It's even for the Gentiles, which was radical to them. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 120 to 3,000 like that. I mean, truly like that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. The apostles' teaching, I believe, is important there because prior to this, before, uh, during the 10 days while they were waiting, uh, David, King David, had a prophecy about what would come with the Messiah and that there would be one who would betray him and that he would need to be replaced. And so they cast votes and they realized that we need to add somebody to our apostleship that actually walked with Jesus, talked with him, learned from him. It wasn't just like listening about him or hearing about him. They really saw it for their own eyes because the good thing about that is that now the apostles are eyewitnesses to what actually happened with Jesus. And so when people began to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, they were devoting themselves to the teaching of Jesus. That's important. To fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the, mount, uh, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number every day. Those who are being saved. Every day. So many times we think about generosity. We think about the first time we see that displayed inside the church. And we go back to Acts 2. But I'd like to suggest to you that a very, very, very important seed birthed their ability to be generous. And that was because they identified with Jesus. What must we do? The most simple way that I can even think to explain this, and I have to think simply or else I won't understand it. The most simple way is this. I was born. I was born into flesh. I was born into sin. Strangely enough, I've been made in the image of God. So there's actually things about me that are not all bad. Praise God. Praise God. If I were to be generous in this state, right here, just a good old coming right out of the gates, trying to live my life, I don't know Jesus yet, state. I'm going to follow a principle of generosity, and it's this. 
that where I'm abundant is where I can be generous. Where I'm abundant is where I have the potential to be generous. If I'm not abundant with my money, well, then I can't be generous with that. If I'm not abundant with my things that I could sell like other people have done, well, then I, you know, I can't do that. If I'm not abundant with my uh, thoughts and morale, then I can't give that away. But in its most simple form, when we have that same moment, and many of you in the room have had this moment, praise the Lord, where someone, whether it was the Word of God itself or someone uttering the Word of God, the Spirit of God so used that to be truth to you and that it cut you in your heart and you went just like they did. Well, we, we get, I get this. I believe this. Oh my goodness, I, I realize who Jesus is. Okay, I realize who he is. I want that. And so he says, awesome, you can have that. And we step in to a new identity. Because essentially what you're saying is, is that what I have is of sinful root. What you have is of holy root. And you're inviting me into you. So I will leave this identity and I will step into this identity. So what happens is, this is amazing. I think it's amazing. God, at that moment, in his kindness and in his generosity, gives us everything we need. Everything we need. He deposits everything. He doesn't go, okay, well, this is good. So year one, we're going to do this. And as you mature, I'll give you some more. As you mature, I'll give you some more love. As you mature, I'll give you some more faith. As you grow, oh, you didn't grow this year. Hmm. You struggled. Okay, so, so I have to withhold myself. On paper, that sounds ridiculous. And yet, somehow, we manage to think these things about him. If we didn't, we wouldn't act the way we do. As long as something stays conceptual, it never becomes practical. As long as something stays an idea or theology or um, ideology, then it doesn't get the opportunity to become practical. As long as identity is just a church word to you and to me, as long as that's all it is, then it's never going to become in such a practical thing that we step into. So practically, what does that look like when it comes to generosity? Because if it's true that when I stepped into the identity of Jesus, and if it's true that when I decided to do that, when I said, gave him a yes, and he decided to pour himself into me and not withhold at one, one ounce of himself, that means that now I am filled with the Spirit of Christ. Galatians 5.23 tells me that the fruit of that Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, 
It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. And against those things, there's no conflict. There's no law. If that's true, if the word of God is true, and if the principle is I can be generous in the areas that I'm abundant, now I'm standing in the abundance of the spirit of Christ. And now, in the context of my life here on this side of heaven with my feet planted, I now can be generous with my joy. I can be generous with my peace. I can be generous with my self-control. That one was not for you. It was for me. Thank you for letting me say that out loud. If that encouraged you, well, then I'll be it. But it was just for me. We can be generous with our faith. If the Spirit of Christ is so in us, and we are operating in Him, then expressions like being Spirit-led becomes extremely important, doesn't it? Because basically what I'm saying is, is I was in union here with my old flesh and my sinful ways, but I've decided to become in union here. I've decided to become identified by this, by the Spirit of Christ. (sighs) Some things can be complicated, and I think some things can just be black and white. I am learning that gray is a color. But I'm also recognizing there's a lot that's still very black and white. The question becomes is how do I practice this? For me, I want to just tell you a couple of things that the Lord in his kindness has led me to. Psalm 104, you've heard it quoted here recently. Uh, Several times. It's just continues to be popped up. And I think it's the kindness of God because he's putting words in our mouth, isn't he? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. About two weeks ago, I was so um, heavy. And I realized with things that are needed and things that um, propel. And I was... So desperate to talk to the Lord about it. And he, in his goodness to me, said, come to me first with thanksgiving. Put thanksgiving on your lips. I'm not going to say that we haven't moved at times to the petitioning. But I can, with all honesty, say we really haven't left thanksgiving, he and I. What I thought was a long list, it's still long, but it does not have the same level of anxiety for me that it did before. On Friday, I was up here at the office and I decided to go for a walk and I took a walk and I said, Lord, I'm just going to, let's just walk and talk and I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to tell you some things that we're thankful for. And I just started off with some of the uh, most obvious things that I'm thankful for. Began to walk the perimeter, ran into Dr. Jack because he comes out here faithfully and walks with his walking stick and prays as he walks. I began to walk the perimeter of the of the grounds, and I realized there was something coming out of my mouth that I did not plan to be there. I started walking around 
the perimeter out here. And I said, Lord, I just want to tell you, thank you for the worship leaders that are not even born yet. Thank you, Father, for the worship leaders that will grow up with the word and spirit being married together, being united together passionately, unapologetically. Thank you that they're not even born yet and they matter to you. They're going to be leading so many people to you. They're not just going to be worshiping. They're going to be leading. They're going to be taking them with them to you. Thank you for their heart. I just went on and on and on and on. I started thanking God for this, the pastors that would be birthed here. That they're not even thought about yet because the marriages haven't even come in union yet. Our timeless God knows how to put thanksgiving in our mouths years before it ever even comes to be. And I realized that I was becoming so thankful That when it was time for me to be generous, it became easier. There has to be something that is linked to generosity for someone who's a generous person. Because I have to believe in Acts chapter 2 when they were selling what they had because they saw a need. And they're thinking, I don't have any money for that need. But I do have things that I don't need. Or I've decided I don't need. Let me go sell this. I'll take the profit and I'll hand it to them. What was, what was doing that in them? What, this spirit of generosity, what was propelling them to do that? It's because they were so identified with Jesus because it was inconceivable to them that they would not be thankful for the privilege to step into that identity. As long as something stays conceptual, it never becomes doable. It never becomes practical. What is something? I've been asking the Lord, where are practical areas in my life that you want me to be generous? Because I'm just being real honest. I think sometimes what we call personality, the enemy calls a successful strategy. I can be quick with my words. I'm just kind of one of those people. I just say it like I mean it. I don't believe that's personality. What, if, what would it look like if in the identity of Jesus, we became generous with our words to one another? Well, I'm just not a hugger. I don't smile a lot. I don't you know, not who I am. <laughs> what if it... What if we stepped into our identity and the right that we have to represent the living expression, Jesus? What if we did that? Might we be more compassionate, more generous with ourselves, our smiles, our arms, our hugs, our, hey, how are you? Doing well? What if, what if an email stopped being, hey, listen, I'm busy. I'm at work. I mean, do you know how many loans I've got to process today? I'm at work. I've got things to do. And now this personal things come in and they just need to know I'm so busy. I just got to be quick and cut to the chase. But what if we stepped into an identity and said, you know what? I have a moment to be a blessing 
Jesus, what would this look like if I was a living expression of you inside of this moment? And I was generous with myself in something as technical as an email. As long as something stays conceptual, as long as it remains in that place, it never becomes practical. And James is so good to us to remind us. If we just listen to the word, if we are just with this theoretical, oh, and we don't actually do it, it's like someone who looks at themselves in the mirror, doesn't choose to make any adjustments at all, walks away and completely forgot what they look like. It means it's, it, it's pointless. It's pointless. It makes no impact. It makes no change. At some point, our generosity has to become practical. The beautiful thing about that is that all he's asking for is a yes. That's all he's asking for. When we said yes to him, he said oh, yes to us. Everything we need. Second Peter if we could put that on the screen, Second Peter 1, 3, by his divine power, by his yes to us, his pouring in, his generosity of depositing into us, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory, glory and excellence. We're not trying to become generous people. We are generous people. And now we get to live by the spirit and say, spirit of God, how do you want me to be generous today? How am I to represent your virtue today? This morning, I want to just take a moment, just a few moments, just quietly. And I want you to ask of the Lord and submit yourself to him, surrender. Holy Spirit, in your kindness, would you show me where I'm withholding when I could be giving generously from your abundant source? Let's just take a few moments. What an honor, King Jesus. It is. To let you be the living expression in us. And though these vessels are broken, 
you have seen fit in your generosity to pour your spirit into them. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you empower us with every resource needed for living a godly life. I thank you that that resource is is inside our greatest model, Jesus, that his spirit is in us. Thank you for forgiving us for when we fail one another, for when we fail to represent you in a way that you richly deserve. I thank you that your compassion and your kindness to us brings us closer and closer into our union and our intimacy with you. I bless this house in Jesus' name with an increased understanding of their identity in Christ Jesus, an increased gratitude for the generosity of Jesus, for an increased practice of pouring out the spirit of Jesus. And I ask Holy Spirit that you would talk to us in the most simple and personal and practical of ways as we seek to honor one another and to honor you by being generous. To operate from a place of overflow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.